Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. Well, good morning again. We, we, we're, we've been meeting together a little while now, haven't we? I, I think it's been pretty sweet. Um, starting in July, I started kind of showing up and then kind of every now and then show up again. And, and there you are. And it's, it's so good. And then there will come a day that, uh, people will say, yeah, that old preacher was here for a while. Here's old Dr. Sharp. He was here for a while. Um, no, it's, it's really, uh, really wonderful. Matthew and I was glad to hear that the gathering circles will, will gather back up and you will have an opportunity to talk about uh, what it is to have peace in the world. And after we get through talking about that a little bit, maybe there'll be a little more uh, content to that. When we uh, come to this Advent season, one of the things that occurred to me the other day is that when uh, the people in Palestine were gathering and and Jesus was about to be born, they didn't know it. It's not like they were going, it's four Sundays before the birth of Jesus. Uh, we need to get, we need to get ready. Go buy some candles. Let's, let's start going to church. Uh, when they were waiting for the Messiah, they weren't waiting in this little short interval. They'd been waiting for centuries. They've been waiting a long time. Some people have been waiting so long that they've given up waiting. But in the time of Jesus, there was some active waiting going on. Uh, the Essenes, the people out there with the Dead Sea uh, scrolls, um, they were believing that, that there would be two messiahs come. One would come as a, a new David, and he would be a conqueror, and another one uh, would come as a, a new Moses, and he would set the religious world right. They, they thought there was so much wrong, it would take at least two messiahs to fix it. And others uh, believed that the Messiah was coming. The Sadducees probably weren't looking forward uh, to the Messiah coming because they had already made a political deal with the Romans to, so they could stay in power. But, but the people were waiting. And they had heard some things like out of uh, Malachi chapter 3 where it says the messenger of the Lord will come. The messenger of the Lord will come and, and it'll be a wonderful thing. But then about halfway through uh, those opening verses said, but it's going to be different. It's going to be like uh, being scrubbed with fuller's soap. It's going to be like having silver refined by fire. It's, it's good. There's a messenger coming, but it's going to be not exactly like you'd think. He's not going to come just singing gentle lullabies and rockaby Israel. It's going to be different. And, and that was three or four hundred years before Jesus came. They were waiting and they'd been waiting a long time. This morning, our text comes from uh, Luke chapter three, 
the first six verses. And it is a reflection and fulfillment of the language in Malachi 3. So let's read that. I think the text is up. And if it's not, I'm going to read it anyway. There it is. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, now we know where we are in the world in, in time. We have it all triangulated. The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough roads smooth and all the people will see God's salvation. That's the word of the Lord today. So now we ask that the Holy Spirit would come to us each one of us, and to us as a body, so that we might hear the word of the Lord. And by the word of the Lord, be more perfectly formed into the likeness of Jesus. This is our prayer this morning. Why would you need to have a messenger come before the Lord? It is really a a marvelous thing because what John comes to do, he comes to shake the people of Palestine, to shake the Jewish people and allow the God-fearers, the God-lovers, the God-expectors to float to the top. He comes to surface those who are genuinely waiting for the coming of the Messiah. In the preaching of John the Baptist, he is shaking loose many of those who will be found in the 3,000 on Pentecost. God is surfacing those who will follow him anywhere. There's, there's work to be done. And, and this work is to bring the peace of God into the world. There's a, this sense in which God's peace was perfect peace, perfect peace, was perfect in Eden. When it was created, all the animals were sitting around, the, 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 no, no, nobody was killing anybody. No, nobody was angry. It was a, it was an idyllic, perfect, utopian space. It was shalom. It was peace. But the fall of the garden shattered the peace of God in the world. And from that point onward, sin, 
stalked the world and the people in the world and brought suffering and death into the world. But the promise was that in the coming one, promised to Eve, promised to Abraham, promised, promised, in this promised one would be the coming of the Prince of Peace and the shalom of God would be reestablished. But it's not going to be just a simple peace. You know, there's, there's a kind of peace that we have that's not really exactly peace. Uh, sometimes it's a balance of terror. Uh, there used to be this doctrine, and I think it's still true. We'll find out as the Russians uh, come up on the border of the Ukraine. Uh, it was called mutually assured destruction. And, and this was the way we kept, quote, peace, right? The, the notion that we could incinerate the world and create a nuclear storm that might wipe out all of the world's population in 30 minutes made everybody be nice. It's sort of like the reason that I no longer honk when people don't turn when the light turns green. Because folks are packing these days. They used to turn around and stare at you. Now they fire at you. So I have given up honking. And let me just suggest that you give up honking too. We're trying to keep our attendance up. (laughs) So Jesus comes not to bring a cessation of hostilities, but he comes to bring peace. And if you're going to bring peace, you have to settle things at a deeper level. I love what he says about uh, filling in the roads. And there's a story, there's a preacher story I could go into about if the emperor's coming and the king's coming, you better fix the road in front of your house because if the king feels a big bump in front of your house, it could be really bad for your family. Uh, maybe that's true. Maybe it's a preacher story. You know, two preacher's kids talking and the mom hears them and they're, they're telling whoppers. And they say, oh, boys, y'all need to stop lying to each other. Say, so we're not lying, we're making up the truth. <laughs> Sometimes people tell stories like that. But you know, because you travel the roads around here, that if there's a pothole and you don't fix it right, after you pave the top of it and it looks so pretty and it looks so pretty after a freeze or two and a hard rain, then you get a pothole. You get more. You have to, you have to fill that thing in from the bottom. You have to tamp it down. You have to work hard. You have to fill it in. You have to work. In the human body, there, there are things that happen to us that they can't just sew up. Because if they just sewed it up, they'd be sewing up the problem inside and it will, would explode and burst and run. And so those kind of things, they say, have to heal by secondary intention. 
Now you can go to your doctor and you can say, is this going to heal? Can we just cover this over and it'll heal? Or does this need to stay open so it can heal from the bottom up, from the inside out? Heal by secondary intention. The reason that peace and repentance go together is because what is wrong with us needs to heal from the inside out. Just coming to church and playing like everything's all right, playing like I'm a really nice person, I've got on my glad rags and my glad hand and my glad face, and it's all wonderful, but inside I'm still seething with anger, I'm still covered up in all kinds of evil. Uh, That doesn't work. Being in Christ is not cosmetic, powder and paint to look like what you ain't. It must go deeper than that. We live in a world where people are wanting to hear from everybody that they're all right. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a medal. Everybody gets to graduate in the top 10% of the class. Constant validation. I need constant validation. John the Baptist comes in and says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He comes preaching a message of repentance for forgiveness of sin. He doesn't come to make people who have no sin feel better about being people who have no sin. And so the challenge for us is to, in pursuit of the peace of God, to pursue a life of constant turning toward God. Now, it would be nice if repentance was a one and done thing. And I think that's the way I used to teach it. When I was, uh, when I was making my first talks, uh, Stanley Vest, he, he delivered milk, I think, in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Stanley Vest, uh, had the little, uh, training class. And I'd, I'd get up and, and, and we learned how to make a talk. And it was, it was great. But it was here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And you could check the boxes, check the boxes, check the boxes, check the boxes. But, but nobody made it clear at that point that you're going to repent and you're going to keep repenting because you're turning toward God. You're continuing to turn toward God is a constant turning. Uh, I have a small example. Uh, when I do premarital counseling, um, I tell people that... Um, we don't have any conflicts with people we're not close to. When you see somebody across the street, you don't have any conflict with them. But when you get a little closer, you might. Like that guy parked in front of you at the light who doesn't go. But when you get married, this person is getting closer. And so as they get closer, you kind of go, I didn't see that before the wedding. I, I, I think this is bait and switch because I think he's beginning to smell a lot like bait and I'm getting the feeling I might like to switch. 
So, so you get a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And what happens in your communication and the way you treat each other, at some point you can get stuck. And you get stuck this far apart and you're not willing to get any closer and they're not willing to get, and you just get stuck. And you can spend the rest of your life in your marriage, your relationship, your marriage just stuck like that. But if you want to get closer, you're going to have to realign how you're talking, how you're acting, what you're doing. You have to realign, then you can get closer. It's like one spacecraft docking with the International Space Station. You have to maneuver to get closer. You have to you have to change your alignment to get closer. Change your alignment to get closer. And I tell people in a premarital counseling, I said, your whole life you will be doing this with the intent of getting closer and closer and closer. And your job in your marriage is to get as close as you can. Never stop adjusting. Never stop adjusting. So you can get as close as you can all of your life. I see some of you looking at each other going, I think I'm going to move over a seat out of elbows range. But our relationship with God is our constant turning of our heart, our behavior, our attitudes, our constant turning toward God so that we might be closer to God. And the more intensely we move toward God and the closer we are to God, the greater the peace that we have within us. To sing our songs, to sing the songs of peace without a heart that is continuing to do the regular work of self-examination and turning is a, a false faith. To turn to God, we have to examine ourselves. I don't know if I want to do that. I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, I, I say, have we been introduced? I, I'm a living demonstration of the second law of thermodynamics. The universe is running down. But the task is not just to look in the mirror, but the task is to examine our hearts and minds and thoughts and, and to ask questions like, when in this day have I resonated with the will and the hope and the love of God in my life? When have I resonated with that? In, in what way have I resisted that? Have I, have I lived in a way that I was dissonant with God? Have I, have I lived in a way that I wouldn't pray thy will on earth as it is in heaven? Have I resisted? How could I turn my resistance into resonance? How could I turn my dissonance into harmony? And, and day by day by day by day, we make simple commitments. I'm going to listen harder. I'm going to be less reactive. I'm going to stay sober. I'm going to stay focused. By God's help, I'm going to walk closer day by day. 
the work of constant turning. Martin Luther said, we turn and turn till we turn out right. We turn, we turn. It's almost like the potter with the pot on the wheel, isn't it? As long as that pot keeps turning in his hands, it's getting better. But if the pot decides not to turn, the potter's hands are useless. So our job is to stay on the wheel. Our job is to continue to turn toward God. Now I want to say just something about peace really fast. The peace of God that we experience, we experience inside a turbulent world. This isn't going to be heaven yet. Some people are angry with God that, that the church isn't heaven yet. The people in the church, there's some of them that are just not very good Christians. That's right. You know why? That's why they're in church. Some of you are baby Christians and you do stuff that, that, that some other people go, I don't think I ought to do that. That's right. That's right. Not all the nurseries over there, some of the nurseries in here. And the reason that we need baby Christians, the reason we need to be evangelistic in the world is that older Christians need to have baby Christians around them so the older Christians will remember what it's about. Otherwise, we start thinking the church is a place for the high and the holy and, and we got to set the bar high so people will understand important things and know things like guide, guard, and direct. Somebody comes new in the church, they don't know what needs to be guided or guarded or directed. It just sounds like the church is having God's peace in an incomplete and growing way inside this earthly creation of God. Heaven comes. Heaven's later. This isn't it. Jesus says, in me you will have peace. In the world you're going to have trouble. Right at the end of John chapter 16. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We get together, we sing our songs. You know why? It makes us... Express the peace of God. Master, the tempest is raging. You know that song? It's a, Jesus, how can you sleep in the boat when there's a storm going on? Jesus can sleep in the storm. And you can stay in a boat in a storm if he's in the boat with you. Just sit over close to him. It's drier there. We go into the world to meet the world, to confront the evil, to confront the lostness, to confront. But we have peace in our hearts and in our souls and in our fellowship. In the world, we have trouble. That's why we have these rhythms of, of, of coming into worship 
together and, and in our homes, having times of quiet and solitude and prayer. And then we go out in the world and we engage the world in our jobs. We engage the world in the things that we're doing uh, out there. And we hear people say horrible things. And we hear people believe horrible things. And we wonder, what is it all about? And then we come back into the the devotional, the, the meditative, the, the inspirational, we come back into God's peace. Christ didn't spend all of his time out in the streets of Capernaum. He, even the Lord Jesus, went up on the mountain to be with the Lord, went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus, the Son of God, prays. And if he needs to pray to make it through the turbulent times, then how would we not find ourselves in the prayers of peace in our own silence and solitude? The path back to Eden is a path that we take individually as we find ourselves turning more and more toward God and allowing the Spirit to bear more and more of His fruit in us. The path back to Eden takes place in the life of the whole church as we together learn what it means to live in the fellowship of peace. The path back to Eden will finally culminate in the great city of God. And in the meantime, we do ministry in the storm and we take refuge in the fellowship. This is our life. We turn toward God in repentance always. And in that turning, we find peace. Christ, we do all adore Thee, and we do praise Thee forever. Christ, we do all adore Thee, and we do praise Thee forever. For on the holy cross hast thou the world from sin redeemed. Christ, we do all adore thee, and we do praise thee forever. Go in peace. Enjoy your gathering circles. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.